and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 447. That's right. Tonight we're talking about Green Lantern number five, and then we're going to do just a little bit of feedback. It'll be a relatively quick episode, just in terms of we don't have a, a secondary topic to Famous jump into. Famous last words. <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> Every single time. Even when we plan it that way, it still takes forever, but whatever. So, so this limits you to one tangent. Out of the blue, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> one, you have what one ta- one tangent quota, Chad. Keep that in mind. Uh, uh, Joe Mullen is uh, on the variant cover, and she has nothing to do with the issue. There you- There's a tangent, folks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're, we're, we have it out of the we have it out of the way. <laughs> Done. Uh, all right. So who's doing the recap? That would be I'll Dan. do it. Hooray. All right. All right, so Green Lantern number five, written by Jeffrey Thorne, with art by Tom Rainey, Marco Santucci, and Andy McDonald. Colors by Michael I- At- mm, sorry, by Michael Atya, and letters by Rob Way. So, so Kelly Quintella, the Teen Lantern, is attacking the planet of New Korrigar. Last issue, Counselor Fell made it sound like Sinestro was the most likely responsible for the disaster on Oa, so Kelly flew off to start kicking ass. But she's never... But she never makes it to Sinestro himself, since the plan is defended by a, ne- a network of remote-controlled drones, as well as an elite guard of Yellow Lanterns. The power of Kelly's gauntlet is enough to overwhelm the planetary defenses until a mysterious Yellow Lantern, who's blatantly Jessica Cruz, is able to manipulate Kelly's fears and make her pass out. This gives us an insight into what really drives Kelly. She's lost most of her loved ones and carries some pretty heavy survivor's guilt, which was ramped up by her being the the only or one of the only people on Oa to survive the central battery disaster unharmed. Jessica's also Jessica also has what I assume will be some pretty con- uh, controversial opinions about the way Sinestro, the Sinestro Corps uses fear, but we'll get to that. Simon shows up in a full Iron Man suit, invoking the authority of the United Planets to collect Kelly and bring her back to Oa. He and Jessica reunite, but Simon doesn't even realize it's her, which is kind of sad. Over in the Dark Sector, the Kunari Raiders have all been killed, and the townspeople are ready to do the same to John for bringing danger to their doorstep. Until they realize that the Kunari know where to find them now, and John can help everyone leave the planet while there's still time. With the severed head of Green Lantern RRU-92 guiding them, John takes everyone to the lighthouse, the updated sector house they built as soon as they all arrive through the barrier, which seems to have become some kind of spaceport in the last six months. 
There they reunite with Salak and Nort, who were assigned to the station in the first place, as well as a handful of Green Lanterns who managed to make it back, including a very pissed off Genzi, who blames John for the 300 Lanterns who were presumed dead since he was in charge and this all happened on his watch. But no time for that, because Kilowog and an injured Hanu are calling for a rescue. Uh, most of this portion is narrated by Ilo, and it's very bad, but we'll get into why I think they did it this way. Now is the part of the show where you guys tell me why the comic book is bad, and then I tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> Tom Rainey's art. <laughs> but, I mean, again, as I've said a billion, 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 billion times, it's, it has nothing to do with his talent. It has everything to but do it, with pers- personal Come on, preference. be honest, though. You really are – I mean, we, we understand art is subjective, but from your opinion, you don't think he's a good artist. You know, at least I, you can say that, Chad. Just be honest. I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I, <laughs> just just say it. <laughs> I mean, in this day and age, it's almost like you have to put a writer with everything like I'm just to clarify my point. Here's what I'm saying. Otherwise, people lose their freaking mind. So, I mean, whatever. But I mean, that's I think there's a couple of uh, I, I mean, just I mean, you know, sp- speaking to to being honest, there's, I think there and, and Dan can really help here, given his his artistic background and everything. I think there are a couple of technical issues with. Uh, with what we see here in in the uh, that's the the second half of the book in terms of that side that side of things, um, more specifically, let's say I think I'm pointing more towards uh, so the first page of that, yeah, the first page of that part of the story, third panel, the perspective on that the way that guy is hunched over his neck and everything that just looks really strange to me. Um, some of the faces look very, um, very, uh, regularly like uniform and, uh, and other pa- like the same faces in other panels look more stretched out or odd, uh, in some places. Um, it helps that there's a lot of like space and then, you know, we kind of bring in, you know, uh, Salik and, and Nort and kind of other species to help kind of diversify his, you know, to, to rather soften the impact you see on his style, kind of the same way I felt when Doug Monkey was drawing uh, Green Lantern with Jeff Johns. Like, I think Doug Monkey's humans looked really strange, but when you got to like some of his alien stuff or his like really dark, evil, kind of creepy ass stuff, like with Green Lantern 43 with the, the black hand issue where he kills himself or whatever. Like that shit looked amazing with Doug Monkey, but you have to admit, like some of his human faces, the grins, the proportions of some of the faces were just sort of off sometimes. And I feel like some of that is playing off here too a little bit with this with Tom Rainey in this one. So I think there are some technical issues here. Something I'll always remember is when uh, we were covering Sins of the Star Sapphire, and we were looking at uh, Miria Hall's origin. And like when she bursts out of that crystal into in her uniform for the first time, she has this like anguished, like snarling face. And the way Patrick Gleason draws it, like Jim described it as looking beautiful and ugly at the same time. And it that's kind of the perfect way to to describe that style of drawing because and it's something that's incredibly hard to do because it it requires such like a a perfect balance like you have to know exactly what you're doing and you have to like really really utilize like the emotion of the scene to get there yeah uh, i'm looking at 
I'm looking at things and like I'm been, I've been trying to figure out how to like articulate because like you 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 are right like well the the guy that's hunched over carrying that that corpse it almost looks like his body is like like smushed a little bit yeah like they molded him out of clay and then tried to put him in that position but he was too tall for the shot so they like kind of pushed him down a little bit but like I think it's more te- something that's more telling is on the the very next page uh, the bottom panel where it's um sakari uh, talking to the the room full of angry town people something tom rainey likes to do is he'll like go for like more dramatic angles like put like giving us a view from like just slightly below the eye line looking up at characters and when he does that the perspective on their heads is always it's maybe not always but a lot of the time it's too dramatic like too extreme too dramatic like like the the way that we are seeing her head in this shot would make more sense if she had like a a more like oblong tall head mm-hmm. you know like it the fact that she has like basically human proportions makes it look like this shape doesn't quite line up with where this where the camera should be when we're looking at her from this angle I think a perfect example of that is also when uh, what's her name punches John. It's like she lost her forehead and her f- head is like a little too big for her body there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a weird thing because like I wonder how much of it is comes just comes out of the fact that he has a more like exaggerated cartoony bent to his style because like I actually like how her head looks in the 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 next two panels which is weird considering how little of the rest of her body we can see, like, but it's still enough to tell that it is bigger than other people would still draw it just based on that last panel. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we said before, and I think it's still true now, like the biggest weakness of Tom Rainey as an artist is inconsistency because you can have the same character drawn in every panel on the same page and they don't look the same in any of those panels. And usually an, one page will have the full range of quality of artwork depicting that character. Like look at the, what, look at the page where John makes his entrance. That first panel is awesome. Like maybe his, you could argue that his, uh, his raised arm is probably a little too short or maybe like the, the, the forearm part should be larger or it could just be a weird perspective thing, but that's a really good shot image of John. Like, and then the, the shot right next to it, it's like his head, like his head is not the same shape as it was in the first panel. Yeah. The last two pages also pretty indicative. Um, I'm not very good at, uh, at remembering people's names, but uh, the, the Ilo's mother. Uh, Sakari. Yeah. Sakari. Uh, both her and John in those last two pages, if you look at their faces between within each panel, like just as, as a small example, but an example is that she doesn't have a widow's peak in the first panel. She does in the next panel. She doesn't in the third panel. She does in the fifth panel. Yeah. Like that's a very small example, obviously, but like in terms of hairline, but like even her face looks different. If you look at her face and kind of get a sense of what her face looks like in those in that five panel layout versus the the very last page, she looks a whole lot more well rendered. Her face looks a little like she she looks more I don't know like model like or something in this final panel here. And you you know what really gets me about this is Mm -hmm. that this is 
there's an easy fix for this, and that is don't design this brand. Like I'm, a, I don't think we've ever seen this alien species before in DC. Maybe I'm wrong, but you're designing an, a new alien race. Make them look less human. Like, cause yeah. you know who we're not saying any of these things about? Salik. He's on, he's on like four or five pages of this comic, and he looks fine all the time. Like, yes, yeah, some sometimes his little like head spikes are are a little different, but ev- pretty much everybody does that. I think the fact that we're we're given like a more conceptually relatable design to go with since these are the the aliens that we're going to be spending the most time with presumably it hurts them because it's easier to do it wrong whereas if you're inventing a new species from the ground up you can do whatever you want with their design and give them something that lends itself more to to your stylings as an artist that won't show any of the the weird flaws the art isn't any more consistent in the first part of the story or the book either. I mean, Kelly's drawn completely different all throughout the story. She's got straight hair. She's got curly hair. Even her, even her ring constructs, sometimes they're very, very well defined. And then sometimes they're just like pretty non-defined, just very you know basic lines in the cat in a, in a John Stewart like construct. They look, you know, very like bare basics, not a lot of detail. But Kelly's like really all drawn all over the map. I mean, it doesn't even look like Kelly in the beginning with the straight hair and just you know, like, oh, like, like almost like more like wavy straight hair as opposed to the, you know, the curly hair that we know Kelly's supposed to have. Well, we know that Joe straightened her hair or whatever or ran a comb through it or something at the end of the last issue. So it makes sense. But, yeah, for her to switch from the, for the art style to switch from her having this straight hair to back to her regular hairstyle just between pages makes no sense. I mean, unless it's unless like, I mean, they could very easily say that like when Jessica shot force lightning through her brain, maybe that messed up her hair. I don't know. <laughs> it had a static uh, electricity effect. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm actually more inclined to give them a pass on the constructs. Cause like on the, for the first page where we see Jessica, like with her claws out there, cause I mean, like it, it, that's where the John Stewart constructs loses a lot of detail you could easily write that off as like, oh, okay, it's changing with Kelly's like emotional state. She's like losing control and like it's getting, it's losing dimension or whatever. That's true. Um, What's the deal with the stupid tattoo on Sinestro? Is that related to the, the ultraviolet lantern? I I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, it's never it's never been part of his thing. So that so it's I was just wondering if that. I mean, obviously the. The uh, the bimbos that he was having his three-way worth have him too, but the question is, I didn't know if it was related to when he was an ultraviolet lantern or something, since that's not standard Sinestro fare. Yeah, not that I know of. Not that I know of. I th- I think they just get the 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 finger tattoo. Yeah. And Arkillo does what we expected Arkillo to do: get his ass handed to him. And Rama Ru- and what uh Ratma Ru or Roma Ru or whatever is back. Romat Rue, yeah. Yeah. And that weird elephant thing. Like, love that guy. No, the the reverse mammoth or whatever. <laughs> this is an art thing I want to call out because I really like it. So the way that they're doing constructs in this fight, I got to see, like, on Twitter, um, uh, 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 I forget this artist's name. Marco Santucci? Yes, Marco Santucci. I think it might have been, um, it might have been Jeffrey Thorne sharing, uh, 
uninked pages or uh, just the pencil pages but for all the constructs like all the characters are like are penciled and inked like normal the constructs are just done it as like a just like a straight gray tone ink wash and then they're just digitally colored later and i think that's like a really really cool touch it makes them it makes them feel like like a palpable part of the scene while setting them apart from like regular like physical objects jessica with the wolverine claws is a nice touch yeah (laughs) even though if you look at that panel actually that that kind of shoots holes in potentially in the idea that kelly's constructs are changing because jessica's doing a mind her having an effect on her directly because the first time we see that is right before jessica does anything to kelly to her yeah but yeah but it's a good theory i mean i i I think there's probably there could be some subtle influence going on but uh just generally speaking story-wise in this i mean I don't like Kelly doing as well as she's doing, though obviously Sinestro is not overly concerned because Sinestro doesn't even step in. So he's she's still beneath him enough where he's not concerned. It, I have an issue again with the with the elite of the Sinestro Corps getting their asses handed to them by Kelly. But that we've kind of expected that to happen, I suppose, for the most part. But that was that was disappointing. Uh, Simon not being able to recognize Jessica, even though we regardless of whether they're having a, I mean, she does actually talk when Simon's around. So you would think the voice alone, but, but the outfit at the eyes still flashing or glowing yellow instead of green, that's kind of a tell, would be a telltale sign. I suppose that it might be, might be Jessica, but you could, I suppose you could let, you could let that one go, go for now. It was interesting. It was interesting that they decided to switch the stories, the order of the stories and putting the Sinestro course and the story first it may, it does make you wonder what what the decision was. It's almost in a way it's almost like well they know which one of the two stories people are going to care about the most here. Well, I think it's just because the stuff going on on New Korrigar was the only thing that had like like forward momentum for the book overall. Like well, the, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean that that of the of the of the of the two stories since they split this into two, the only I mean for the most part, and you. And I know you disagreed, at least with the original Future State issue. You didn't like the second one as much. But most I think it's safe to say most people, when they read Future State, liked all the other stories more than they liked the Jon Stewart story. At least certainly if you look at the body of work of issues one and two. So it's in this, it's almost like they're acknowledging that the real ish, the real part of the story that is going to grab the average reader right now is going to be is the first is the all the stuff related to who done it. And that's the stuff they put in, in the forefront. Which that being th- said, go ahead. I would expect them to flip back and forth, de- like issue to issue, depending on which has the most important stuff to do in that particular issue. Because like the the John section of this issue wasn't in like I don't even know if I should call it not important. It it was functional in that it moved pe- all the pieces to a different part of a the board so that they can get to the next stage of their story. But the actual movement of those pieces was not interesting. So they shuffled it to the back and instead gave most of the issue to the other half where there is lots of like character driven stuff going on. But the question also is, is that likely to change in the narrative, in the dual narrative they've set up? Is it really likely to change that most people are going to be until they, we get to the, until maybe we get to the point where we start figuring out what the hell is going on 
in the dark sector and what, you know, what caught not just related to time, but everything until some of those mysteries start getting unraveled, which I don't think, according to the solicits, that happens to what? Issue seven? Uh, that, eight. Is it eight? Is it really yes. eight? As that, whatever issue comes out in November. That the, all the real momentum of the, and the people, if people care at all about any of this, that they're going to care about the first part because that's where the mystery is. It's like it may lead to help. It may lead into the second part. But the idea of what's of who of what really happened to the central power battery, who did it? So it's it's weird it's it's weird that they switched when you can make the. I understand why they would do it now. I guess looking back objectively, because the part the parts before since they did the split with Joe, most of that stuff was relatively boring too. The stuff going on on, on Oa before this this issue. So it's kind of like a, a coin toss, which which story was better. And there probably was more action actually in the John Stewart part. So if you're using action as the determining factor of which one should come first, I guess it does make sense. This would be that's the reason, you know, that's the reason to flip this stuff now. I, I didn't mind like the John Stewart. I did not mind the John Stewart stuff. I thought that was probably since they've since he's been out there, this might be the. And since they've done the split in the issues, this might actually be the, the John Stewart part that I've liked the most even though really nothing happens, but at least you get, because I think get, it's because we finally got off that planet and you got some of the, and you got the core back. Some of the, I core mean, that's, back. I mean, that's what I mean. We're, yeah. we're, we're going to learn more about what the hell actually happened to the other members of the core. So, I mean, still, I, it's still my least favorite part of the book. I enjoyed the first yeah. part of the book more, but mm. it's not, it's, it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's a, it's a weird pacing thing. It's very slow developing, which is probably why the sales don't seem to be particularly robust on this book. And it's just it's it's hard to. And if we really have to wait to issue eight to, and start unraveling, I mean, again, because we have two mysteries we have to basically resolve and, and if they could be resolved and, you know, begin to un- be resolved and the mystery. Be, everything gets clarified in the same number of issues, basically. It's so like once you start getting one reveal for, and maybe you get like similar reveals moving moving the uh moving the barometer towards the you know it's a so the big reveal that you get the first little hints of what's coming in equal measure between the first part of the story and the second part so john figuring out what's going on and us understanding how time works and and what's really going on in the dark sector can all can mirror what's going on with kelly and everybody and joe trying to trying to figure out exactly what happened to the central power battery and who was behind it but waiting to issue eight potentially until we really no, get the it, it is eight. The solicit says, uh, meanwhile, Joe Mullen uh, solves the mystery of the battery's destruction in time to see the rise of a new and ancient enemy. All right. So eight is when we're going to know who what happened, what happened to the battery. Right. Supposedly. Yes. Yes. But not necessarily who destroyed it. That gets open to interpretation. Solves the mystery. Well, it says the rise of a new and ancient enemy. So I guess that means by solving it, this enemy is now this the, probably the one who did it. We might not learn everything, but I think issue A is going to be like the aha moment of like, okay, here's what we're here's where we're going. So I mean, I think it could also be issue seven. I don't know how closely you guys pay attention to solicits like I do every month, but like uh, I've noticed a trend that, uh, especially lately, uh, with uh, the big two publishers, is in the solicit text usually stuff is mentioned that happened the previous issue is it almost like a way of recapping the previous issue. Hmm. So it's possible seven is where we find out 
Uh, at I least could, a big portion of that. Because I thought originally seven solicits did mention something like that. Um, they could have or it changed could be it. Like, it could be like a, re- a reveal on the last page of seven that gets fleshed out in eight, you know? True. So seven is uh, the mystery of the dark s- sectors begins to unravel. Uh, and then meanwhile, on, on Oa, Kelly lies in a coma while Joe's team closes in on those responsible for the destruction of the power battery. So seven into eight is when we're probably seven seeming, into eight. we're going to find out what happened to the power battery and seemingly who was, who was behind it. Yes, that's pretty soon. <laughs> All right, we want to get into the fear thing. I have some stuff I also want to get into, but I, I don't know how how relevant it would be. So, I mean, it's not a tangent. It's it what what's what happens in on page, but I don't know how far how much discussion we'd get out of it. So I think we should jump into the to the to the stuff about the the nature of fear, right? Oh yes. Uh, so Dan, in your recap, you mentioned that there was some stuff that was probably not very, not like very much about the nature of fear here. But I think it obviously probably stems from it coming from Jessica's perspective and the relationship he she has with the emotion and how maybe it could impact how she, or just basically maybe I guess the various ways that one could interpret fear and therefore use it in different ways as your uh, inducted into that core yeah and i mean obviously like mark already touched on it when she pointed out that hey kelly was able to beat what was it like five members veteran members of the sinestro Corps, including mark's best friend Arkillo. bastards <laughs> and jessica's narration tries to explain that as well in in a way that i think is nuanced but i think it's easy to take as as what do you mean the Sinestro Corps doesn't understand how fear works. That sounds stupid. And that does sound stupid. But like when I like, like basically what she says, is like, like so the way Sinestro looks at fear is that it's like, it's the, it's the whole adage of like, like when you have a hammer, the whole world looks like nails, you know, like he has his take on fear and he built his core from it. And because of that, they're, view of fear is limited enough in scope that sometimes they can't recognize it when they see it because a distinction that they that this issue makes is that everything kelly's doing it isn't her like going into a rage and like throwing a tantrum she's all everything she's doing is motivated by fear because she is terrified of being left alone because as this issue shows us when jess dives into her mind Kelly has got all this survivor's guilt. Like we don't know the extent of her loss. We only saw like one brief example of it, but whatever she was feeling got compounded massively by the fact that it happened again on a huge scale on Oa and she was left alone. Like even Simon, the person that she tried to save, she thought died. And like, we've known that Kelly sees being a superhero as her way, her like her ticket out of there, like out the, a way to leave home and leave behind all those memories. And she came halfway across the universe only for it to happen again more intensely. And this time she had the power to do something about it and failed. So now when the, what was it, Counselor Fell basically gives that lineup of like, here's the top five most likely candidates for attacking Oa. And it was probably Sinestro. He's the biggest jerk. Kelly lashed out because like she need like I think she even flew well flew away 
screaming, I have to do something. Because if she can't, then she's like, despite all of that power, she's still just the same terrified, helpless little kid that she was the last time. And Jessica recognizes that she can see because she has had such a different experience with fear than most of the rest of the Sinestro Corps, presumably she can kind of see, she can kind of vibe with where Kelly's coming from in a way that they can't. And I would argue it kind, it kind of makes canonical sense for the Sinestro Corps to not be good at knowing how fear works. Because if you think back to the Sinestro Corps war in the immediate aftermath of that, Sinestro and Sinestro's in jail talking to Hal and just comes out and admits he never intended for his army to win the war. He just needed enough bodies wearing rings to pose a big enough threat for the Guardians to change the rules so the Green Lantern Corps would start doing things Sinestro's way. So he was never looking for the best possible recruits. He was never looking for the most qualified candidates. I don't know how he could find them either, because what is the big what is the thing that Yellow Rings say when they choose you? You have the ability to instill fear in others, meaning your worthiness is dependent on other people's perception of you. It's not like a Green Lantern ring who chooses you based on your own internal ability to overcome something or a star sapphire ring that comes to you because you have such great love in your heart. You are chosen to wield a yellow ring of fear because of someone else's perception of you. And what other people find scary is completely subjective, meaning there's no standard for for worthiness at all and anybody can get in hell during the sinestro series a series that we all love sinestro needed an emergency recruitment drive at the end so he just threw rings at the earth and and inducted people like superman and wonder woman like if that doesn't tell you how easy it is to qualify i don't know what does so to me seeing what happens when they f- they fail to beat somebody who they should have beat, if only for the fact that, like Jessica, they should be able to read her fear and use it against her, but they can't. Like, it, it suggests to me that fear as an emotion is more complicated than we're used to thinking about it. We're used to thinking about it not all that different from this description here of like, oh, it's a hammer and everybody's a nail. And it makes me think of what Far Sector taught us about willpower, that in the emotional spectrum, will is itself a spectrum. There's different kinds of will. The Guardians just chose the most common type to base their core on because that way the the largest possible number of people could use the rings. Like the reason Joe's ring still works is because it doesn't run on the same kind of willpower as the others. And the reason they never mass produced that ring is because not enough people could actually use it. I think we might be like, I think, I think slash I hope what they're getting at here is we're going to see an exploration of fear in its different types and the different approaches to it and what it, how it means different things to different people and different kinds of people and how Sinestro and his core are just an example of kind of the 
like it sounds meaner than I mean it to, but the lowest common de- denominator of fear, the most ex- pick up and pl- like plug plug and play accessible version of fear, because he needed numbers more than anything else. And also for the record, Mark, I agree, Kelly should not have beat Arkillo. I I chalk it up purely, purely to the power of that gauntlet anyone wearing that gauntlet would have done exactly the same way. And if Kelly had a regular ring, she would have been down in an instant. You'd like to think that, but somehow I suspect that wouldn't have been the case. <laughs> I'm, I am so sick. It's like what they've done with Atrocitus. They've emasculated Atrocitus so much over the past, whenever you see him that, but over like the last five, six years or so of stories, when we have seen him, that it's like, he, like, like Larflees. It's hard to take him seriously because he's no, he's been, devalued and, de- and being be- beaten so much that how much of a threat is that character really when they give and that's an Arkillo Arkillo is supposed to be this big bad bruiser the 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 opposite of Kilowog and it just it just and and the and the loyal loyal to a fault to Sinestro even when you think even when Sinestro is being an ass and even when Sinestro is actually being wrong Deep down, though Arkillo does occasionally speak up, the reality is Arkillo believes deep down he believes in Sinestro. And he's always loyal to Sinestro at the end of the day, even though Sinestro seemingly, as much as he talks like he's loyal to some of the people that he works with, he's he's willing to sacrifice anybody at any given time, it seems. That I don't know. I, I'm I'm i I just get sick of this. I mean we had such when you get we've gotten if we didn't get Arkillo character depth in development over the years, it wouldn't matter. But we have, and then to see everything take get step when we saw a lot of character development and growth get wiped away at the end of the Sinestro series, when he you had that great opportunity for him and Saint Walker because they were paired up as basically sector partners on Earth, that 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 had so much potential for stories, and and then it was completely forgotten, literally forgotten when Robert Venditti took over and did the Hal Jordan the core book, and you get a little bit of development, of course, with. Him and Guy, like like a guy like Guy Gardner would ever be able to beat Arkillo in a, in, a, in a fist fight. I mean, come on. But it's I it's it just becomes a running gag at this point. It's like it it he's he's speaking of it's like he and Guy Gardner have switched places. This it's like Guy Gardner, the one punch era Guy Gardner, where everybody could take him out if they needed to, and it was kind of a joke that he'd stand up to anybody because you knew what was going to happen. That's kind of where Arkillo is now. That anybody of any kind of measure any kind of standing at all. Now you get, now you get this friggin' like 11 year old kid with a power gauntlet. And yeah, I can understand it could be the power of the gauntlet, but she's still, you know, she's still pretty raw in what she's doing. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's again, if it'd be more disappointing if I didn't expect it, like it was a foregone conclusion that this was going to happen. It is weird that Joe didn't show up in this. I thought it's weird that Joe didn't. That's a, well, that's actually a cool thing, because like I I never expected this issue to go this way. I thought for sure, oh, Joe was going to chase her and get in between Kelly and Sinestro and try and like talk them out of stop in the fight or whatever. But I didn't think about the fact that like, oh, yeah, New Korrigar is in the United Planets. And one of the counselors was standing right next to them when Kelly left. So why wouldn't they just send somebody to go get her and evoke the authority of the, the thing? Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, which which brings up something else, but I'll let you finish your thought. Well, the only other thing I want to say is like I don't, I know it won't make you feel better, Mark. I but I'm I have a feeling that the reason 
the reason part of part of the reason for this fight scene to go the way it did it was to show us just how dangerous Kelly is because you've essentially got an an emotionally unhinged child with a nuclear weapon and like the like the fact that she was able to to detonate and take down five veteran Sinestro Corps members I don't believe is meant to diminish those Sinestro Corps members. I think it's to make us kind of wary of Kelly because she is a p- incredibly powerful asset. She's also probably the most dangerous character in this book. But yet the Guardians wouldn't forcibly take do what needed to be done to take the gauntlet off of her. <laughs> yeah, well, how often do they do the right thing? Yeah, that's true. So the thing I wanted to bring up, which re- relation to the United Planets, because that continues for me. I mean, I know, Mark, you don't give two wet farts about the, the whole Legion of <sighs> Superheroes connections and all that stuff. But, Great um, Legion. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is, okay, first and foremost, uh, I want to mention this. So Kelly is down for the count. She's unconscious. And you see her John Stewart construct uh, dissolving away. So we know that she is unconscious. Any constructs or whatever that she had going is uh, is now null and void. Those those are not in 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 play yet. The last page of this particular story uh, here, not the last page of the book, the last page of this story, the first panel where uh, Jessica says, "Whatever's happening up there, it's going to be over quick." There are green explosions in the sky. Now this could just be a coloring mistake, but what's going on up there? We know the yellow stuff makes sense because the yellow lanterns are in play, but did did other? I mean, you, you said that Joe probably stayed back and involved in invoked the the jurisdiction or whatever. But did some did is is somehow lantern power being used? Is Joe really up there? She could be. If, if this isn't a coloring mistake, what is this? Is it some sort of drones that maybe? This war machine crossed with Deathstroke's mask, uh, Simon Baz armor came up with. I don't know. Um, also interesting to note this green bubble that he appears in. It seems tech, but also seems sort of Owen in interest. So I'm just curious what that is. Uh, also curious what his armor is. Is the armor completely separate from the thing he has on his arm, or is it like nanotech that spreads over him? Um, Mark, but Mark one Simon Bass. <laughs> but that's 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 neither here nor there. The thing I'm curious about is so I can completely I can buy the idea that the United Planets is like I don't know the CIA or, or FBI, right? There can be local precincts that deal with local problems, but in term, you know, somebody else can come in for bigger picture and take over jurisdiction, right? So it would make sense to me that the Yellow Lanterns are still in play on New Corridor, maybe in the solar system that contains New Corridor. I don't know. But the thing that throws me off is, for those of you playing along at home, we're not going to recap this on our show other than to talk about it here. But today, an issue of Flash came out, issue 773. Now, granted... We know DC is kind of janky about making sure all their continuity lines up, but I think there's been more of a concerted effort, especially with the Infinite Frontier stuff, to make sure that there's sort of this cohesion between things, at least in the beginning stages of all of this. 
so I'm pretty sure this was intentional. And I shared with you guys the link to the page that is, uh, I think it's a page, maybe two uh, that are in 773, but this is only the only one I can find from Flash. We see Jessica patrolling the galaxy with Slush. And for those of you playing along at home, Slush is like the the member of the Sinestro Corps that's like a bipedal, um, you know, acid bag sort of guy who can absorb, you know, you see like a, a, a lot of bones and skulls floating in him. Um, and if these weren't l- yellow lanterns, what they're doing and how they're doing it, you would straight up say these are green lanterns. They're patrolling space. They're, they're, they're checking on a problem. Something is headed towards sector 2814. They erect a barrier to try and stop it. They can't. It's still heading for 2814. We need to report back to Sinestro for further orders. Like, so now I'm curious, like, what is the Sinestro Corps' role in all of this? If Sinestro still has his people out there patrolling, is this, is that just him doing his own thing is this a united planet sanctioned and then it got me thinking if sinestro believes that the green lantern corps isn't qualified for all of this in terms of remember he you know, after the green lantern corps was sucked to the other universe uh, that relic was from sinestro took and his core took over and then even when the green lantern corps came back sinestro still believed that they should be in power so why would that Sinestro willingly cede power to the United Planets, especially in insofar as him joining the United Planets? I I'm very curious now as to what Sinestro's end game is here, because I don't I mean, maybe he's just like, I've got my core. I've got my people back in control over my people and my planet. That's enough for me. But do, do any of us really feel like, I mean, I think we, we know Sinestro and his motives, but do any of us really feel like that's truly going to be enough for Sinestro? Well, I, I don't think Sinestro, un- I mean, unless he's gone through a big change, which, hey, maybe death metal was hell, was a hell of a thing. But uh, he is, he I, as far as I know, he still believes in the Green Lantern Corps. I don't believe he would intentionally be a part of something that would destroy it or 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 purposely like kill off like 300 of it of its members casually you know well no uh, just just to clarify i'm not saying he was involved in the destruction of the power battery and therefore the deaths of lanterns i'm just talking about his his agreement and willingness to work with the united planets cede the power and and not have his people somehow involved or in in uh patrolling the sectors or something like that oh i'm not sure i mean i'm looking back at issue four right now and like underneath that image where uh, we see the top five suspects joe asks like hey you know why why would you let sinestro into the united planets like this and like counselor fell says we thought him defeated but he's somehow taking control of new Korrigar and then they got cut off by Kelly. So I don't think the United planets has any idea what Sinestro is, is doing at all. He, okay. I think that, I think they called that big meeting and the, the, uh, new Korrigar delegation showed up and it just happened to be Sin- the Sinestro core. <laughs> okay. 
What do you think, Mark? I think it could, considering the United Planets seems to be, they're willing to grab people from different planets and different parts of the universe to patrol. And I would not be entirely surprised if there were some limited, well, limited as far as they were concerned, maybe not limited as far as Sinestro is concerned. The limited use of Sinestro Corps members as basically representatives or of the United Planets to and just as scouts just to basically go on missions just to make sure that everything's the way it should be. May not be I mean, regular patrol. I mean, <clears throat> may not necessarily be completely organized patrols like like the, like the Green Lantern Corps is supposed to do, but it wouldn't surprise me if some of that was was sanctioned and Sinestro would be fine because he would sell it the way he would that. Oh, you know, they're trying to be a team player, which is kind of laughable for us knowing Sinestro, but him trying to look out for his planet and to at the same time get in everybody's good graces that he may have his own. Well, he does have his own agenda, whatever it may be, but for now they intersect. So he's willing to, to go along and look like the good guy, especially because the focal point was on Oa and all the, all the, you know, all the daggers from the eyes were coming out towards the guardians and, and thus the representatives. So Sinestro kind of gained by that. So I would, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if there was some active sanctioning of Sinestro Corps patrols, even if it was supposed to be patrols in tandem with other uh, United Planets representatives. It's also possible that Sinestro thinks a young United Planets would be easy for him to manipulate. You know, like he he has to go to really elaborate measures to make the Guardians kind of start to do things his way. The United Planets is just starting. They're still figuring this out. So it could be be a lot simpler for him to kind of steer them in a direction he finds favorable, especially now when all the things, all the jobs they were going to have the Green Lantern Corps do are vacant. And so it would be like very easy for him to roll in and say like, Hey, if you guys need help, I've got my core right here. You just let me know. It would be much easier for him to step into that role of Robert Venditti didn't have that ridiculous heel turn in the beginning of Al Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps. But the fear engine. Yes. How, I'm not, talk, talk about being handed a great baton and then just dropping it and kicking it and fumbling it and, and ending up in last place in a race. Oh, my God. I know it's a tangent and I'll make it quick. This will be my brief tangent. That still <laughs> irks me to this day because it's so unlike Sinestro. Not because he was, there wasn't going to be a heel turn coming, but the timing of that was stupid. He literally got everything he wanted and was being embraced throughout the universe to a large extent. Yes, there were some planets that were reluctant. And that would make sense if he was going to shake them down. That part I wouldn't have an issue with. But having all the planets that opened their doors to them being the, the new Green Lantern Corps, that's like, now we're going to screw y'all. That's stupid. It made no sense. Sinestro was too smart a tactician to do that. Uh, even if he didn't think the Green Lantern Corps was com- was, it, was ever coming back, that, that would not be the time to do that. <laughs> even the way he took over Corridor didn't happen like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sinestro so, so always has a plan, except for in the first arc of the Robert Venditti book. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, where's Sora? Where is Sora to get to? Oh, we'll see. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see her in the annual, just because we're going to be spending time with Jessica and the and the Yellow Lanterns. Like the 
I don't know how you tell a story about a Green Lantern joining the Yellow Lanterns without having her spend time with the last Green Lantern to join the Yellow Lanterns. You would think, but let's see. <laughs> Sorry, I was just paging through issue one of the series with uh, to see, you know, that page where Sinestro was addressing them and everything, just to see if there's anything there. And just got lost in how much I fucking miss Dexter Soy. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> but, uh... I, I don't know. I think I think the the role the lanterns are playing. It's just like yeah, we only have this one title, but like, why the hell of all things, if the the writers of Flash are gonna bring in some sort of cosmic threat in their next uh, in their next arc or whatever they're building to here? Because I'm not reading the Flash actively. Why do they? Why pick Jessica? Why pick Slush? Why pick the Sinestro Corps here? That's interesting. And then. And, you know, props to Dan, because I was only aware of it because of Dan. The <laughs> the issue of Suicide Suicide Squad number nine. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Mark, but Suicide Squad number nine has the Suicide Squad traveling to Oa to steal something from the vault. And it's very clearly Cronus Gauntlet. And, and Mark, you'll be happy because based on the cover, it looks like Kelly is going to fight the Suicide Squad. <laughs> I need two gauntlets, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I got another hand. Yeah, it's the solicit says Amanda Waller needs one last item before she can begin her invasion of Earth 3. I don't know why the Suicide Squad's going to Earth 3, but whatever. The problem, it's locked in a vault on Oa. The solution, squad in space. Yes, and, and, <laughs> oh, God. and I, and I, I uh, found the a panel from issue one of the current Green Lantern series where John's like, is Kelly's gauntlet Corona's gauntlet? And the Guardians are like, no, that's locked in. That's locked up here in Oa on a vault. So they're probably I mean, I think the reason that they're going to to fight Earth three is because Amanda Waller's like kind of in case of emergency break glass plan was to uh, kill off the squad and just use the crime syndicate instead. Oh. So that probably so that probably went really badly. So th- I think they want to go. That would make sense with Amanda Waller's mentality. Yeah, they, they want to. I think they want to go steal Krona's gauntlet. I don't know how she knows what that is or where it is, but I think that's what they're doing here. No, it's just, it's just interesting to me. Um, also, <laughs> did you click on that link Mark that I sent to see the suicide squad cover and everything? Yes. Oh, look, at, look at the planet below. It's got green lantern symbol on it. It's somebody just confusing things or is that supposed to be Mogo? <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been waiting to hear what's up with Mogo because as far as I know, Mogo was he's like, supposed to be the, the the Kelly's ride to the dark sector, right? Yeah, and the last time we saw Mogo was before the explosion, and Mogo had gone to Oa with everybody else. So, I mean, it could just be like these two planets are close to each other now. Mm. Or maybe they just thought it would look better on the cover, which it does. Mm-hmm. Also, Major Force is there, and I, I am... I will be very disappointed if somebody with Green Lantern powers doesn't hurt him very badly. <laughs> kind of narrows down the list. Yep. Yeah, what Maybe Mogo will eat him. Maybe the person wearing the gauntlet is Kyle. Ooh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, 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 he, no, he's in... He's in... Uh, what the fell? Why am I forgetting the sector's name? Vega. The Vega system. There you go. Vega system. Uh, all right. Anything else we want to talk about with uh, the Green Lantern series? Uh, two things I want to point out. One has nothing to do with Green Lantern at all. But since you brought up this Flash issue, anybody who doesn't know, 
The Flash is a Wally West book again. Mm-hmm. It has been since uh, Infinite Frontier started. So everything from issue 768 up through now is Wally West, star of the Flash book, wearing his classic costume, go- going on zany adventures. So if you if you uh, if you miss the way things used to be before Flash Rebirth, dive it now is a pretty good time to try it out again. Secondly, I guess the only other thing that comes to mind right now is I really like the fact that other than like a really cool squid monster, Kelly's constructs are her friends from Young Justice. Like she makes Superboy and Amethyst and Ginny Hex to fight the Sinestro Corps with her. And that feeds in really nicely to to the whole like what Jessica says about how like, oh, you know, all the people in her life are people she's met within the last year. And here's the here's Young Justice. And it's just like it's a cool callback to that that series, because I like the fact that she still has her friends on on the brain. Jenny Hex, hometown Dripping Springs, Texas, a.k.a. my hometown. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for the issue recap. Cool. So on to some feedback. All right. Do we want to do email or do uh, voicemail? Let's do the email first. All right. Oh, Mark wrote in. Mark Cook wrote in and said uh, the title of the email, Good Recent Shows. He says, I've really enjoyed your recent discussions of Green Lantern 4 as well as Black Widow. Your thoughts, insights, uh, slash theories about where Green Lantern is heading headed are really interesting, and the discussion on Black Widow was really enjoyable. Boy, thank you. I wonder what is what he's talking about when he's saying theories. Do we have theories about this thing, or we, or is he talking about what we were talking about with Infinite Frontier? No, he's probably talking about the about like how time works differently in the dark sector oh. and things like that. That's what I'm suspecting. Yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to figure stuff out every time a new issue comes out, so it's probably that. <laughs> I didn't know if he was talking because I there was some there was some uh, talk on online after the uh, the Infinite Frontier Dark Side equals Necron sort of theory. <laughs> hmm. All righty, all right, voicemail then. Yes, let's do the voicemails. Fellas. Corwin, just listen to episode, uh, well, episode about issue four. And as soon as I heard Dan come on, I was like, ah, all right, well, we're probably going to share a lot of the same mindset. I'm going to talk a little fast because I got a lot to say and I don't want to run the time. But, um, yeah, as soon as we got the little hint about John uh, and Gantt at the beginning, I was like, ah, I knew especially Dan was going to love the mosaic reference and we'll see where they build from, from there. Um, once again, I think we're all in agreement. I was highly annoyed with the death rate that we got. Um, all the characters that we've lost, supposedly lost, hopefully we didn't. And, you know, maybe a year or two back, I think we had the same conversation where I'm like, do you guys think that they're just killing off all the lanterns that we know that it just, it just seems terrible and empty. It's like the lanterns that you know, like I think Chad was saying, um, you know, all the lanterns we've grown and grown to love through the Green Lantern Corps series and the backgrounds that we've learned, they're just kind of getting rid of all of them. It's like trying to sit there and name which lanterns are even left. It's, it's really hard, almost impossible. So, yeah, my heart was kind of broken with that. I wasn't really happy with what they did there. Um, you know, another thought I had when you guys were talking was like, we need like a Green Lantern quarterly book where we can learn about the different lanterns if they're going to create new ones or even try to, you know, push some other ones to the foreground. We need 
something else to know who these other characters are. Um, but hopefully we will get the core back soon. I know they got this future's end thing going and they've kind of got to live up to it or follow it to a certain degree, but I, I want the core back for sure. Um, lastly, yep, my boy Sinestro got a little bit of, a little bit of time to, uh, well, reference here in this issue. Um, I really hope that they, they don't make him hate the Green Lantern Corps as much in the past, especially since he dealt with the Guardians that wronged him. You know, he's already had his revenge. So hopefully they'll tone down his distaste for the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, fine, he may not like them or he may, you know, diss them every once in a while, but yeah, I hope the profound hatred that he had before is just gone. And now that he has his new Corrigar and he has his core that he'll, he'll still, you know, make cracks at them and make fun of them, but that real hate-hate that he has, like Atrocitus, is kind of gone, and they can move him on to being a better character. But damn, I do miss the, uh, the series he had back in the day. Um, all right, I know I'm running long, so I'm going to get out of here. Looking forward to the next episode. Glad to hear you on the show, Dan. You bring another side to things. I never even considered the time travel aspect, which probably goes more towards Jim, but... And he got cut off anyway, even though he was trying to be cognizant of time. <laughs> he did what he I could. Want, I want to know how Jim is time traveling, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in the second part of the email, which we'll get five years ago. <laughs> It'll show up one day. Oh, how did we miss this? Because it wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the I think the further we get away from that issue, the less I believe that that all those lanterns are actually dead. Really? Yeah, I mean, at least the ones in that John brought with him, because it's just so because like it it relies on the idea that, oh, uh, closing a bounty means you've killed your target. When I've I've seen so many stories where bounty hunters are hired to capture someone and deliver them somewhere. So like it's that I, like the fact that they say, oh, bounties are closed and here's all the rings and usually rings off of fingers means that that lantern died, but the rings were depowered at the time, so it doesn't have to. Like, I'm not saying that nobody's dead. I still don't know how you work around, like, uh, unless <laughs> unless Jeffrey Thorne plans to play with the United Planets as a, bu- a bureaucratic nightmare in that, oh, we uh, we knew vaguely where to look. And we looked for like an hour or so and didn't find anything. So we listed them as dead. Like, unless there's some loophole like that, like, it would be harder to walk back like Aresia and uh, Izamat. <clears throat> but I still, I at this point, I fully expect we're going to find like a prison somewhere that has 300 or so of John's quest lanterns in it. Yeah, because I was just thinking like, because didn't Jeffrey Thorne post something on Twitter or something about like, but I did kill them on panel sort of a thing with Aresia and Isamot. Because yeah. were, so like if, if he's saying that, then at that point you kind of was like, okay, we're not walking back the fact that Aresia and Isamot are dead here. So is that, was that the only thing keeping you from being upset about how they died or the fact that we, that they did die? Is the fact that we we were you were under the impression that probably not that they're probably really not dead. I mean, the thing that kept me from being upset at first was the fact that like I I like 
the issue where the battery blew, I just straight up never even considered that they would kill a named character that we have history with. And then when they did do it, when they said that, oh yeah, by the way, we're confirming them dead. I'm like, what? That doesn't, what? And like, I can't, I know I mention it every time. I still don't know what the hell that weird harness Isamot's wearing is. And I feel like that is like their get out of death free card for him. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a, a Thanagarian thing. And I just don't read enough Hawkman, but he has scoliosis, Dan. Yeah. It's, it's a back support. It's the yes. whole thing. But I mean, I, I still, I still stand by what I said when we talked about that issue that like, if they stick to, if they stick to this and they, they, they large scale wiped out, tons of characters that we know and love and have read about for years off panel then that's bullshit but like i but like again like maybe it's just specifically for john's half of that i don't think the lantern the 300 lanterns that we think are dead in the in john's part of the story are dead so specifically in john's part of the story so does that so then you believe the stuff in Jess and Joe's side of it is probably here to stay. I, I think it might be, it, it might be, but I'm also like, like there's, there's wiggle room with that. Cause, cause again, it happened again, this issue. I expect, I, I went when issue four ended, I had a very clear idea in my mind of what would happen in issue five, because of course they would do this, do this, this way. And then I read issue five and I'm like, oh, I didn't think of any of that. And it makes sense. So I'm like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the space to be shown something that I can't think of. And I'm hoping that pays off. If it doesn't, I'm going to be disappointed and upset. But no. that's kind of, that's just where I am right now. I'm in a holding pattern until I know which where to land, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know. I was still sort of approaching it from like, man, I'm just so shocked that Dan's not more upset, especially, especially given your, your passion that I remember. Not, not to the extent of maybe some other lanterns, but I remember you particularly enjoyed, uh, Isamot and, uh, and Vath's relationship. So. Yeah, they were great. Remember that time he cut off his own legs and gave them to Vath and Vath was <laughs> like, you asshole, why would you give me your legs? I don't want your stupid legs. And he's like, screw you. No, screw you. And they're, they're great. <laughs> and dead, yeah. maybe. Dead percent. <laughs> they got better. Maybe Vath can cut off one of his Isamot legs and regrow Isamot. <laughs> <laughs> and then Isamot can cut off one of his legs and put it on Vath and regrow a new leg, and they're both fine again. <laughs> Guys, I fixed it. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then they both punch Arkillo in the mouth. Uh so what do you think about what his thoughts about Sinestro or the likelihood of any of that really of, of Sinestro really toning down the hate? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think what well, I think you mentioned earlier, like Sinestro is already he already got his revenge against the Guardians that the specific Guardians that that wronged him. So I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't know what to make of Sinestro exactly since the last time we saw him. I, I don't think. I wouldn't assume he's changed all that much, but maybe he has. Maybe being the like the leader of his planet again is uh is uh changing his outlook on stuff. Wouldn't bet on it. I guess we'll see in the annual. 
and the I guess the next two issues after that. Sounds like there's going to supposed to be a lot of lantern focus because Sinestro's on the cover to issue seven. So nice. Unless that's supposed to be the variant cover, it does look kind of like a variant cover. Oh, the uh, the gray kind of ink wash. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I found the tweet from Jeffrey Thorne from August eighth. Uh, he says a lot of stuff, but he one of the things he says in a sentence is death matters. So he said, yeah, yeah, there are no backup stories in this run. There are no filler issues, filler stories in this run. No prior approach will prep you for what we're doing. Everything you've ever read might. Death matters. The past is, isn't prologue. Death Death matters is also a fairly vague thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) You know who also said death matters? The Russo brothers. (laughs) And almost everybody got brought back. Almost everybody got brought back. So what we need, so what's going to happen is the Suicide Squad is going to steal the gauntlet and then and then Major Force is going to put it on and snap his fingers and then half the Green Lantern Corps is going to come back. <laughs> Convergence Parallax will show up. Go back in time. <laughs> Absorb that power battery before it can explode. I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just having fun, man. I like this. <laughs> All of it, like it's upsetting the apple cart in a w- in ways that I enjoy, even if everything doesn't land where I want it to land, even if I've been completely wrong about every word I've said and every theory I've had, and even if I walk away from it mad because hey, characters I like actually were killed off panel. This is still a hell of a ride, and I'm enjoying it for sure. All right. Well, before uh, we close out the episode, Dan, you want to tell people what you got coming up for Mosaic Comics? Because I know you posted about it recently. Yeah, well, so I posted a number of things that are in the works right now. I can't seem to find the post. There it is. So probably right around when this episode comes out, there's going to be a video going up on my channel, which is all about analytical Green Lantern video essays, talking about how likely it is that Green Lantern can actually successfully patrol a sector. And I'm kind of basing, like, the centerpiece of that discussion is a one-shot that probably not a lot of people have read. It's called From Beyond the Unknown Number 1. It was a 17-page digital-only release that came out June of last year, which is, is all about, like, hey, what happens when worlds that rely on Green Lanterns because they don't have their own champions get ignored because either because, you know, the universe is too big to actually patrol in this way or because, you know, you're paying too much attention to your home world. So that's coming up this week. I'm also in the works on on a look at the original Golden Age Star Sapphire, which, hey, that exists. Uh, I'm going to be touching in on Infinite Frontier now that it's it's starting to wrap up. I'm going like, to finish my coverage of that. And I think it's finally time to uh, to uh, pull this Band-Aid off and talk about why on a channel called Mosaic Comics, I have never talked about Green Lantern Mosaic in any real detail. So we're going to get real for a little while and... It's going to be mentally and emotionally draining, but hey, I think it's important because I want to talk about this book, but I wouldn't feel good about doing it if we didn't broach this subject first. So if you're interested in any kind of of in-depth 
analytical video content about Green Lantern from all over its 81 years of publication history, go to youtube.com slash C slash Mosaic Comics. And if you like what you see there, subscribe, share some videos around with your friends. Why hasn't he talked about Mosaic? Because he already did it one issue per episode from 2010 to 2012 <laughs> on Lantern Cast Presents Mosaic. Yes. <laughs> actually, and that is actually, that is the last time that I have read that series. So I'm very curious to see what I think of it this time around, especially since there are things about its creators I did not know at the time. So there's a whole number of things that could recolor the way I look at this book. Are you which... going to... Are you going to go back and listen to those episodes to see, get your own thoughts back in your head? I'm Well, I think I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread them. I'm going to reread each issue and then kind of like jot down my thoughts. And then I'm going to revisit the episode to see what I thought the first time. Cause mm. I don't want, I don't want to just regurgitate what I've already said. Gotcha. Yeah. For those of you playing along at home, the Lantern cast, you just start, you're listening to episode 447 right now. That's just numbered episodes. Lantern Cast Presents Mosaic is not a numbered episode, so go find this stuff. It's still out there. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, c- I can tell you. It is actually... Where is it? Well, we have a whole uh, category. This was de- December of 2010 is when it started. So it's been a decade since I have I have revisited this series. Well, I mean, like, like Mark just mentioned, go to LanternCast.com, and the very first column over there on the left is Categories. Find Mosaic. Click on it. There you go. If we mention Mosaic, you'll find the episodes in there, including Lantern Cast Presents Mosaic. <laughs> yeah. Very good Mark impression, Chad. Uh, I did, did I do it? Was I doing a Mark impression? Yeah, that's what he sounds like. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. All, all the time. <laughs> except okay. except he didn't quite sound as attractive. Oh, oh yeah. You know, I try. Uh, can anybody really? <laughs> no, not really, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably everyone, but back to reality. So speaking of going to places like LanternCast.com, how do people reach out to us, Mark? LanternCast.com, Chad. <laughs> LanternCast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag Geocast to track us down there. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least like to leave us a voicemail or text. That number is 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Yeah, Be like uh, Corwin. Leave feedback. Yeah, please, please. Uh, we, 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 it's the only way we know you're out there. Uh, it's been a while since I mentioned it, so I did want to mention it just real quick. Uh, we are one away from having, uh, at, the, at current, 950 followers over on Twitter. And as a reminder, everybody, we still have an ongoing contest for once you, we hit a thousand followers on, uh, on our Twitter and maintain that for a little bit. Uh, and uh, basically all you have to do is follow us over on Twitter and then send us an email to lanterncast.gmail.com, as Mark mentioned, letting us know what your uh, Twitter name uh, is, your Twitter handle is. And if you give us actual feedback, bonus points for you. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but bonus points for you. And I think the only other qualification I need to mention there is uh, uh, valid only in the residential United States and Canada. Is that right? Or based, the, 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 based on the prize. Yeah, yeah, continental. And yeah, in terms of winning, yeah, I can't, I can't afford to ship to Hawaii or internationally or anything. <laughs> Just FYI. Sorry, Guam. 
Yeah. <laughs> With apologies to Guam. Um, and then uh, also I recorded some uh, a video this past weekend uh, that I will be posting on our YouTube channel soon. Uh, in 2017, uh, Panini Games put out a Green Lantern Metacross trading card game. And I bought a box of uh, a, a, a sealed box of those cards, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something like that. And I finally opened them uh, on the uh, on video, and I'll be putting that video together and posting it over on our channel. I think that'll be the fourth, yeah, the fourth trading card unboxing that we'll have on the channel. And uh, speaking of, I was looking, I was just wanted to do, like double check and make sure, like, because prices were going crazy for like the 1991 impel cards and the the marvel series four cards and stuff like that they're still going crazy by the way what's freaking hilarious <laughs> what's hilarious and i'm probably probably going to buy a pack uh, uh, an, a sealed box because of this the cards that dc put out for the dc bloodlines event are still cheap as dirt <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, all the trading card stuff is going crazy in terms of value on sealed packages. But the sealed packages for the DC Bloodlines cards are still so cheap, which means even the speculators won't touch DC Bloodlines at this point. See, Jeff, what that means is we all have to buy all of them, inflate the market price, and then sell them off. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, but not before I can get my hands on a, on a pack <laughs> or on a, on a box. <laughs> there, there's oh, just some man. stuff that you just can't increase value in, even if you tried. <laughs> and, that, and that's one of them, I suppose. I also have a video I need to finally upload one of these days because I, the, I had my pile of loot unboxing from Big Bad Toy Store. And I also had some mystery minis. Lilo and Stitch mystery, mystery minis. I bought a case of those. Oh, nice. nice. So I've been meaning to, I've actually been meaning to upload that video like on a, on a Monday before we have to record and begin this whole process all over again for the week. <laughs> That's the day where I really need to do it. And I and I drop and I drop the ball or do it over the weekend. So I really do need to do that. Luckily, it's not overly time. It, it's not time sensitive at all, really. So that's probably my problem. Why I haven't been highly motivated to do it. But I I should do that because I haven't posted a. I wouldn't label it a ring cyclopedia video, but I haven't even, but we haven't done one of those in a while. So I feel, I feel bad. Yeah. I'm getting a, I'm at some point soon. I'm actually going to actually get one of those uh, rotating stands or whatever. That people make it easier. And, yeah. And I think I'll be, once I have that, I'll be able to make some, some decent, like uh, you know, lantern Funko sort of videos, sort of a ring cyclopedia, but for those, cause I do plan on getting all the lantern related Funkos. So um yeah i think once i have that rotating stand that'll make that a whole lot easier well you're gonna have a really cool wonder woman collection at the end of that (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yay (laughs) (laughs) all right guys we'll talk to you later good night everybody good night good night